0: Hey everybody, welcome to this edition of the podcast, Kellen and Alex Show. This edition was recorded in November of 2019. We were coming fresh off a debate on modernization in the church. Uh, it was a very interesting debate. A lot of different things were said. It got heated at moments. We really, uh, really enjoyed talking about that, so we break it down We also talk about the Abu Dhabi document, a uh, document that Pope Francis signed with some Muslim leaders in uh, Saudi Arabia, I believe. So yeah, a lot to talk about on this podcast. So sit back, enjoy this edition of the Kellen and Alex Show.
1: All right, WFRSCC 88.3. I'm Kellen Lakin with Alex Denley. We're going to have an awesome podcast tonight. We're running just a little bit late, but that's all right. We had some technical issues with studio productions today. Anyways, Alex, we did do a studio production today. We did. You with Nicholas Larkins. We had the best one out of anybody. We got two takes in. Very stressful being director, trying to get everybody to do everything. And it's just a pain. But uh, no, you guys did really good. You hit it to the exact second. What What'd you think about that?
0: Yeah, it was fun uh, doing an actual production, a TV production. You see what goes into it. Um, you know, Mr. Kellen, he's a uh, communications major so this is part of one of his projects uh, we were really happy to be a part of it uh, we discussed Veritas Society and all the things that we do uh, specifically the debates and um, yeah what impact they actually have on campus
1: is what yeah. we discussed I wanted to get that out too and I figured I got to come up with something so I just think Alex Denley and Nicholas Larkins Veritas Society let's yeah. do it
0: yeah no it was really solid and Seemed like uh, Nick
1: enjoyed himself too yeah Nick enjoyed it yeah he's so smart he is he's just brilliant like mm-hmm. I, don't, I never worry about running short on time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. He's always
0: got something he's going to say. Oh, you got something. Yep.
1: Which is interesting. Yeah. So that went really good. You guys did a really good job. We had a debate recently. Yep. Last Sunday. Uh, last Sunday, which was... Um, four days ago. Four days ago, this house believes that... What was it?
0: The crisis in the church it's is due, due to, to modernizing, modernizing the church.
1: Okay. So what was the final vote?
0: So it was 70 affirming... Twenty-eight opposing and forty-six abstaining.
1: First time we ever had more abstaining than opposing. <laughs> yeah, I feel the like most abstaining. This is the first time I've ever felt ashamed on air. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. I abstained.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was like, you I'm know, not
1: intelligent enough to make a decision.
0: Well, you could, yeah. I mean, you could go for one side or the other. I mean, with the vote at the house, it's not, it's not as though you're, you know, wedding yourself to one side. It's just you, you think the best arguments were for this side or for that side. Yeah, I'm glad we have the abstaining option, but I, I, you know, that's why I said please stand in shame with your right hand raised.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I raised my left yeah. hand,
0: <laughs> so I was the chairman for the debate. Uh, I usually don't chair, actually. You I, did a good This job. is my first chairing of the debate here. And uh, I was not, a bit I, more serious but yeah, it I was a serious
1: topic. Well here's the thing though like you like to give a speech and unfortunately you can't give a speech.
0: Yeah, that's right. I mean you probably could
1: <laughs> since you're the president but I mean I don't know.
0: I couldn't like abdicate the chair. Yeah. I mean it would look weird cuz then I'd look impartial. I mean I'm very impartial to the to the motion. Yeah. I mean I'm I'm pretty pro Yeah, I think modernizing's the problem. Yeah. I mean I I like the definition that the affirming side gave. They said okay, modernization is uh, obscuring the doctrines of the church to be more acceptable to the modern world, which I think in a large part has happened. I think a lot of the doctrines have just been kind of pushed to the side, kind of obscured, and that leaves people in confusion. And then when you're in confusion, that gives a license to, um, yeah, it, it doesn't keep you away from sin. I mean, keeping you away from sin, you have to say, this is sinful, this is bad, and um, know it in your mind. And then, if you're confused about stuff, you can fall into sin and not even know it. Or, well, of course, you know Ooh. it to some degree, but it's it's a confused
1: sin. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you're kind of still held accountable, right? You're if still you, held. If you accountable, don't know yeah. that it's a sin, then I don't think it's a sin, right?
0: You would know. Yeah, I mean, you would know in some degree. You would know in some degree. Some yeah. degree. Any sin, you'd pretty much know in some degree. Yeah. And uh, but but the confusion doesn't give you clarity and the necessary like. And you won't repent necessarily. I mean, think about how many people are. Well, a lot of Catholics contracept.
1: Yeah, and we're, that's
0: we're, a that's a mortal sin.
1: Yeah, we were talking about. Um, yeah, it was mentioned in the debate. I mean, the majority, just as many the majority of Catholics in the yeah, United States contracept. Like just as many as outside Catholics. Yeah, people that aren't Catholic.
0: Yeah, yeah, about the same outside and inside of the church. Which is a
1: disgrace. Um,
0: yeah, it's a disgrace. I, and, I mean, was... they're in a state of mortal sin. And then they if they do come to mass, which many of them don't anymore, but they do come to mass and they're receiving the Eucharist under mortal sin, and we're not preaching out against contraception, um, I mean, it's a tough, it's a ridiculously tough teaching, obviously, but it's true. Contraception harms everybody. And, um, but yeah, I mean, the church has to proclaim the truths, even if they're difficult. You can't just hide them away because... Uh, Sin exists, and you have to be, yeah. You have to preach against the sin. Otherwise, we're in a weird yeah. place.
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think a big thing is a lot of times we don't even want to acknowledge that we're sinning, which is number one worst thing. Right. But you know, it's interesting because the motion, you know, modernism. I mean, now looking back on it, I do agree that it's modernism. Um, you know, I said my speech was you know, my, my, both of my older sisters, have fell away from the faith and just, you know, it was priest related, but, um, I was, oh man, I was so tempted to say, and I know people are entitled to their own opinions. Right. But I was so tempted to say, I think the Catholic church is the disgrace. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm kind of not wrong, you know, to some extent, but I mean, I didn't say it, but you know, I was, I was thinking, I mean, look, how could we have gotten to this point where people spend nine years of their lives or whatever in seminary and they go and sexually abuse kids? Like, yeah. like who does that? Like, I don't know. It's just a, it's a mess.
0: Yeah, it is disgraceful, and I
1: don't think it's fixable. I mean, I is is it possibly possible for that to be fixed?
0: I, I mean, not perfectly. Well, not but, obviously, right? Right.
1: But, but yeah.
0: yeah, um, the 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 problem is a systemic problem, right? The the fact that it's such a crisis is. Not because there's a few isolated cases in a few dioceses, but because it was like all over. I mean, San Diego and Los Angeles got mega hit by sex abuse stuff, and and a lot of it was um, the real problem was bishops not, you know, publicly publicly condemning these priests and defrocking them and not allowing them to be clergy anymore. They just moved them around or sent them to psychological retraining or hid the stuff. So the sex abuse cover up was the the.
1: Which to me is be, almost worse.
0: Yeah, it's, yeah, it's pretty, it's, it's really so bad.
1: bad because it's, it's aiding the right. sexual crisis. I don't know.
0: Yeah. and I mean, you think about like, what, <clears throat> what is their seminary formation that they're coming out in this way? But
1: you and, yeah, well, you uh, wondered if it's being corrupted.
0: Yeah. And I, there's been, you know, homosexuality in the seminaries was a big problem in the 80s and 90s as well of uh seminaries having a homosexual culture. There was a number of seminaries that that had that that culture at the seminary and there's a link between homosexuality and pedophilia in the clergy and um especially if they're active and stuff like that. And yeah, I mean it's a terrible problem. And the fact of the matter uh you know Nate brought it up in the debate, the change of of canon law, the 1918 code of canon law versus the 1983 code of canon law. Right. And in the 1918 code of canon law, if you committed any of the five sins of sexuality, of adultery, fornication, homosexuality, bestiality, or pedophilia, you were to be, as a priest, you're removed from the, you were supposed to be removed from being a priest. Like, you're no longer to be recognized as a priest, you're no longer to do any priestly duties, you're done. I mean, you're still a priest by the character of the conferring of the priesthood. In fact, when you get made a priest, you're a priest forever, even in eternity. And so, but I mean, if you've done such a heinous sin, you need to be publicly removed because you can't be tolerated. And you can't just be like, well, we'll just forgive you because we need more priests. It's like the canon law has to be that way. So it's strict. So it doesn't occur. But what, what happened in 1983 is they changed the canon law to be, well, if you committed these sins, well, the bishop can make a decision whether he's going to condemn you publicly or he will might just send you for psychological retraining, and then you can go back. And then you couple that with seminaries having a homosexual culture, and then the bishops are doing cover-up, and then it's just a complete mess. I mean, the United States has just been so heavily hit.
1: Yeah, and, and I agree, obviously. I think Nate brings up a good point. Nathan Lemansky one of the, one of the speakers uh, for the debate on the affirming side and he obviously we talked about it in our last podcast with Nick Larkin's um our special guest and he we talked about the 1918 or 19 and the 1983 switch mm-hmm. of canon law and I thinking back on it now Nate brings up a good point like we said I mean I think we've been too lenient we've been maybe we've been a little bit too lenient you know right instead of pu- openly you know publicly condemning them and they can't come back now we have the now the bishop obviously has the option of Sending them to get some training psychologically.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, wh- what do you like? What do you prefer?
0: Oh, whether public defrocking or sin for psychological reevaluation. Which code of canon
1: law do you? Oh, prefer? the 1981 is obviously, obviously yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that was why I was. Gonna, that's I, I mean because me there's too.
0: no if you've done such a major sin like that, and I mean who's going to trust you after that? Yeah. You see, because it's a it's a betrayal of the trust of the laity because you're supposed to you've taken a public vow to be celibate. And to remain in, in chastity, and um, when you do such a major heinous sin like that, whether it's adultery or fornication or whatever else, uh, bestiality, pedophilia, homosexuality, and it's been proven that you've done that, like no one's going to trust you anymore, and that yeah. puts such a tarnish on you know the priesthood and. The church as a whole because the priest like represents the church in a more exemplary way than just the laity because there's like that's his whole life every portion of his waking hours and his work is on the church and on saying mass and and to have the knowledge that like oh the the priest offering mass is a you know has committed homosexual acts while he was a priest right so if these things happen like before the man is a priest if a man has homosexual tendencies before he's a priest, he's not to become a priest. That's right. part of canon
1: law. Well, I was talking to uh I was talking to our newly acquired uh spiritual director, I think, Father Vince. I don't know I don't know if he's a spiritual director, but he's a new guy with with the friars. And I had a long conversation with him one night and I was talking to him about what do you think about what do you think's going on with all this Amazon Synod? and we talked about that. Then we also talked about he does this thing called come and see or whatever. And they have like young men that come in and see kind of the, you know, the friars, you know, priesthood, but what it's like. And we said, one thing we cracked down in is like a crack down on is a psychological test for them. They have to be tested, you know, to make sure that, and I think that goes with every priest, right? Or I does it? I mean, I don't know. I don't know how that works. I'm a huge
0: fan of the psychological test.
1: Yeah. But one, but, I guess he was explaining, we want to make sure that they don't have, like, sexual tendencies, you know? I don't know how you can really judge Like homosexual tendencies? Yeah, like that. Or just kind of, you know, yeah, homosexual tendencies. So I was interested in that, just talking about all the testing that, like, they have to go through.
0: So here's the difference between, like, the 1918 and the 1983 Code of Canon Law, once again, right, is... 1918, if a seminarian comes and says, you know, admits to having homosexual tendencies, he's to be immediately dismissed. There's no tolerance of it. because No
1: talk, no nothing, just gone.
0: You're gone, yeah, or was caught in some type of, I don't know, whatever. 1983 leaves the opportunity for a seminarian to grow out of it, basically, like mature past homosexuality. It's it's supposed to be more lenient, but, but what ends up happening is, you know, that's— <laughs> once a seminary admits to that tendency, he's going to be around men all the time. He's in a seminary. They're literally there the entire time. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, it doesn't work. And so you have to be stricter according to the law.
1: Well, the only argument that I see that doesn't even justify it, yeah, is you know, Oh, we're going to just let them, you know, we're going to go back and just let them like recoup, you know, it was kind of it's like, guys, you want to eliminate that completely up, op- you know, completely. And, you know, it's just like I don't, I don't see, I don't understand the logic behind it. The, it maybe the they're thinking, be, maybe they're thinking like, oh, we're gonna lose way too many priests because that's of this. right, yeah. But that's not that's that's not how it works.
0: There's a lot of factors. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of factors that go into it. I, I mean, I this is now my personal opinion of it. I think when they changed the mass, the mass became a lot less masculine and a lot less Roman. It was in Latin, hmm. you know, like the mass. And so when a priest is ready to dedicate his whole life to something and it's the liturgy is is kind of inherently less masculine and more feminine. because I think the new order of mass is more feminine by nature. Um, You know, things like speaking in Latin and all the genuflections and going up to the high altar. And that's been replaced by this kind of like communal worship thing. It's a lot more feminine and um, less of this kind of hierarchical masculine thing. And so you you have that, and then men aren't as attracted to that. Like, oh, I'm going to be doing this kind of community mass for the rest of my life. It doesn't attract as much masculine men as it does kind of more effeminate men.
1: Yeah, no, that's a good. <laughs> that's point. a
0: that's a really you know opinionated opinion, but but you
1: uh, like the Roman right over the Latin right.
0: Yeah, I think it. I think it appeals to men more. Right? Yeah. And it appeals to masculinity because there's a there's a manliness to. Um, the way that the liturgy is said, it said you know facing God, not facing the people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also done on is obviously done on behalf of the people. It's done in Latin, which is the universal language of the church, and um, it's all of the external signs, all of the prayers, all of the genuflections, all of the movements. It, it bespeaks a like a, a masculine priesthood, yeah, right. And and it, and it goes back to Christ, who is you know the one unique mediator, right? Christ is not a woman. And doesn't have a, a, a woman's spirituality in this way. He's a man. and mm-hmm. Christ is a man. Yep. And there's a, um, because the priest is this imitation of Christ and he does the work of Christ, the liturgy being the work of God, being the work of Christ, right? Christ's whole project is to offer himself to the Father on behalf of sins and for the salvation of mankind that's an utterly masculine act it's not a feminine one yeah is the giving of one's own life for the salvation of another and for the salvation of souls and so the liturgy being the work of God and being the work of Christ is a masculine act primarily because it's the work of Christ yeah and he's a man now obviously the liturgy has you know because it's it's the whole body of Christ as well there's obviously a feminine character as well and being spiritual and receiving and and these type of things but Right. The Roman liturgy was that masculine way. And it's a man who's offering the mass, ultimately. He's a priest and he's conformed to the image of Christ and he's offering the mass. Not to say feminine spirituality doesn't have a place, has a place, but the liturgy primarily is of this masculine character. So when the new mass came and it had more emphasis on community and individual uh, approach to the mass, active participation, and these type of things, and you take away the Latin, you take away ad orientum, you take away you know kneeling and genuflections and all these you know really masculine characteristics, then you're going to lose masculine seminarians, in my opinion. I, and this is this is an opinion. I you know other people could really debate me on this, but I I think that was why we had the loss of masculine men in seminaries. And then of course, when you start getting effeminate men in seminaries, you're going to get homosexuality concurrent yeah, with that.
1: It's a mess. I mean. And
0: then you add on to that the fact that they changed the canon law to allow for homosexual tendencies in seminarians to enter into the priesthood. And of course, and then you have the connection of homosexuality and pedophilia, and then you add on to that, bishops can switch priests around, and it it just does not lead to a good situation. Well, <laughs> it it seem- was more of a perfect storm situation. Right? It doesn't
1: seem like it's getting any better with what's going on in the Vatican right now either. Right. I think the whole hierarchy is just in shambles. I think everything's just kind of a mess, to be honest.
0: It's a mess, but it's been a mess before.
1: Yeah. It's not like this is anything new, no. obviously.
0: Yeah, so. yeah. And uh, yeah, we're getting into more of my, more opinions of it, but it's yeah. It's opinions,
1: with, with, what we want on radio. I, I know, but the these, are, these
0: are hot takes. I mean, I'm ta- saying a hot take about the, you know, the Roman liturgy is more, the Roman rite, the, what we would call extraordinary form now is more masculine. And and yeah. attracts more manly men, and uh, I mean, you think about it as a priest, like that's your that's your role is offering the mass and offering yeah. the sacraments. And um, well, here's here's another concrete example: confession. So the way confession is done now, a lot of it is this: they they built these like confessional rooms and all this stuff. Let, let me go back. How was confession done traditionally? Going it's, back for a the long time. Priest
1: is in. You're both facing forward, right?
0: Yeah, the priest is, yeah, I mean, you had the invention of like confessional boxes, right? So they're in the church, and there's a door for the priest to come in and a door for the penitent to come in. And there's a thick grating in between the priest and between the penitent. And why? Well, we'll get to the why in a second. But you've probably seen them in like old churches, these like confessional boxes where you have the priest. He's facing forward, and there's a grating in between you. And then the penitent kneels, facing the priest and facing the grating, and confesses their sins. And oftentimes the grating is pretty thick, and you you can't see through the grating really. Can't really tell who's on the other side. And uh, and and also it kind of muffles your voice a little bit, but not too much to where you can't hear. So why were those built the way they were? So let's try and like perceive the the you know the knowledge of the people who made these things, the Mm -hmm. the Catholics who made them. Right? right? It's kind of like a. well, why do we have this? You know, um, well, because there's there's a lot of really good reasons why you would have that. First of all, confession is between two people, right? In a room that's enclosed that no one else can see. Okay, to avoid any sexual sins, the grating is there and the doors are there, so there's there's no there's nothing that can go on in there. And there have been situations, and in the '80s and '90s where once that confessional, like, wall was done away with to where they're in the same room together, right? They had these, like, confession rooms. Stuff has happened in there, and it's been bad. So to protect the priest from any accusations of sexual misconduct, there's a, like, how could he, you know, do that? There's a thick grating between them, and they exit on two doors, (laughs) right? They're not even in the same room, technically. They're They're separated. And so no one could accuse the priest of, like, Doing anything physical to them at yeah. all, right? So, the wisdom of the church, right? Let's just not, let's keep our priests away from any accusations and keep them away from any temptation. I don't know who they are, right? You know, um, so we do that. Now, that got done away with after like, you know, the new ways of building churches and doing confessions. You have like literal confession rooms and all this stuff. Okay, another thing uh, the grading in between so you can't tell who's saying the confession. Okay. What is the nature of confession? You're confessing your mortal sins to the priest to get forgiveness. Is it necessary to know who it is who's confessing? No. No, it's not. That the penitent is coming forward, using the right formulas, confessing their sins, and asking for absolution, then that's all. That's what's required of the sacrament. And in fact, it's not meant to be spiritual direction. Obviously, mm-hmm. the priest is going to say, you know, he might he might say a few words and say, you need to improve in this or, you know, stay away from this. Here's a strategy to stay away from that. Mm-hmm. Keep away from sin. He might give you a little bit of advice, but that's not the primary purpose. The primary purpose is the forgiveness of your sins. Mm-hmm. And you're coming there to confess. Mm-hmm. So, like, you're already penitent, right? You're there to confess. You make an act of contrition. The priest understands your penitence and he gives you absolution. And so... Do you need to be sitting face to face, looking them in the face, confessing your sins in the same room? No, it's not necessary, and in fact, it it kind of speaks more of like that. You're it takes away that like face to face kind of awkwardness of confessing sins, especially sins of sexual nature. Mm. And I think this doesn't affect us as much as men, but as for women it affects them a lot more because you're confessing to a man yeah. sexual sins and stuff or whatever yeah, else. Yeah,
1: I get what you're saying. Yeah. Like
0: that's just, that makes it really—
1: That makes it hard. That makes it hard. That makes it and hard. And
0: you add to that if they're in the same room and stuff and you're confessing things of a sexual nature and stuff, yeah. that could be a temptation. And even if it's not something physical that occurs, if the if the, you know the man who's a priest is a woman's confessing a sexual sin or something like that, like, you're going to be thinking, yeah. and, and it's, it's not, and that could easily be something, a thinking of a sinful thing, right? Whereas you're, if you're not looking at the person, not looking at the woman, if she's confessing something of a sexual nature, then the priest can be more even keel and be fine with it. Like, there's so much wisdom in the fact that we built confessionals, yeah. <laughs> all right? Like, and we just throw yeah. them out the window as being antiquated and stupid, yeah, right? <laughs> And it's just, why? Like, they were so brilliant. The fact that they had this, uh, these confessional. you go down to St. Pete's, they have those, right? It was old school. You go in, you kneel down. It's pitch black, dark in the confessional. There's a grating like a meter thick. And then there's the priest on the other side, and you hear this muffled.
1: And
0: then you hear the absolution. There's something so Catholic about that, because it's like, it's so, it makes so much sense. It makes so much sense that you would have confession like that. I mean, you go, and then all the potentially bad things that can happen, being face to face, confessing things of a sexual nature, and, and it's tougher on on women. I think it's tougher on women. Women, right? Because I can go to a um, you know a male priest face to face, confess sins if I had to, and it wouldn't be it would be awkward, and I wouldn't prefer it over like a confessional. But for a woman, I think it's just it's 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 different. And and also the fact that like a lot of changes with the confessionals has seen it as being like spiritual direction time. It's not spiritual direction time. Mm-hmm. It's meant for you to confess your sins, get absolution, be contrite, go off and do penance. Mm-hmm. It's not meant to be like a 20-minute sermon on how to amend your life. Like, go talk to the priest another time. There's like 70 people in line.
1: That's what happened to me in uh, Holy Land, remember, at the Church of the Annunciation or whatever?
0: Oh, really? You You got a a lecture? uh,
1: It was in Nazareth. Okay. I think it was in Nazareth. The the priest was like from Vietnam. He gave me like a 20-minute lecture. Right.
0: Right. Well, you have people who come to confession approaching it as if it's a spiritual direction occasion. Right, yeah. Right? Which is not— it's not a spiritual direction yeah. occasion. And when, when you approach it as a spiritual direction occasion, then what happens is the priest either goes along with it or he doesn't go along with it. And then you have priests who are, like, not happy about doing a bunch of confessions because they take forever and people are giving them their life story every time,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? And then you have other priests who are, like, going along with it and love it. And then they make, like, everyone else has to wait, like, four hours to go to confession,
1: yeah,
0: right? And not everyone gets to go to confession. That's terrible. It, it should just be go and confess your sins. If you need to go and get spiritual direction, arrange a time with Father another time, right? It, it needs to be yeah. And then you add changing the grading, changing all this stuff, and you wonder why no one goes to confession. Like, did you see the the um, the, the data for like how many people go to confession yearly in the church today? I haven't seen. I haven't seriously seen seriously like, like on confession. it's like twelve percent or something like that oh or my less. Gosh. Go to confession once a year. That's it's, just, it's a
1: travesty. Yeah, it's sad.
0: And you think also, think, oh, man, confession is just a, oh, man.
1: It's such a gift, dude. It's
0: such a gift. It's such a and gift. And the fact that we've messed it over so badly. Yeah. I mean, think about your average parish has confession when?
1: Um, I don't really know. I mean, our parish is like once or twice a week or something.
0: What time? And what day?
1: Uh...
0: Saturday Saturday, at 4 o'clock. Saturday
1: at, yeah, Saturday at 3. Saturday
0: at 3 or 4 o'clock. Yeah, Saturday at 3. It is literally the worst time in the world to have a confession. Argue with me on that because I genuinely think it's the worst time. Well,
1: what are you doing at Saturday? I think the the logic is is that it's a weekend. It's not during a week where there's work. I mean, that's might be one reason. You know when the
0: traditional time of confession was?
1: Friday at 3.
0: Sunday before and during Mass.
1: I like that. I think that's pretty cool.
0: Why do you like that?
1: Because it's like right before or during, so you can have a time to receive the Eucharist. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty you high cool. five on that. High five, yeah. How
0: is that so confusing? Like people come to mass and modernism, you got... <laughs> or you get into the punchline before the joke, Ellen. Uh <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean. It makes logical sense why do we usually have confessions supposed to be like before mass and during mass because in the the old rite, you would have confession during mass too right because you can still be paying attention to mass and be waiting in line for confession you know because the confessionals are supposed to be in the church are supposed to be like there and it's like yeah so you can receive communion if you're in a state of mortal sin
1: mm-hmm. right
0: like yeah. that's what you're intending to do you get to mass a little bit early right? Who wants to have to drive to church on a three o'clock on a Saturday to go to confession when, you know, like Jill from the parish council is doing a four-hour confession in the confessional, (laughs) confessing all, you know, having a chat with Father while you and like 15 other people wait and at a four o'clock on a Saturday, like you can understand just from a human element why confession, like regular confession for the average Catholic has gone down. You know, are you going to stop on your on your Saturday doing whatever you're doing, working in the yard or whatever, playing with the kids. You got a football game that night. You're going out, whatever, right? And you're going to stop and you're going to go to the church and you're going to wait for like seven women to do like 50-minute confessions. And you're going to wait in line for, you know, a priest who's going to, you have to sit face-to-face. And you see how it's, I, I'm just doing it from a man's perspective, right? It's a, it's a, uh, for a man, it's it's just, like, completely antithetical to, to you know, the sacrament to have to, like, yeah. have these huge spiritual directions face-to-face and all this type of stuff. And, and so they moved it, and they don't have confessions anymore before Mass on Sundays and during Masses on Sundays. Uh, when most people are available to do a confession, you're already at the church. You're in a state of mortal sin. You're like, I got to get to confession, you know, and you wait in the line while— mass is going on the priest is hearing your short confessions giving you immediately giving you absolution and you move on and you go back and you're ready to be catholic again like it's not as it's it's uh you don't have to be as a uh, one of our army buddies says you don't have to be a rocket surgeon to figure that out <laughs> 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 right and um yeah it's just conflating spiritual direction and confession that i think's been a big yeah. problem
1: no yeah it's a problem i mean we need to I mean, I honestly think part of it is just kind of, like you said, the what do you say, twelve percent?
0: I think it's even less. That's I, just, I should look look that up, that up because yeah, yeah. that's
1: insane. I used to go to confession like once every two weeks or something when I was younger, but now I go a lot, a lot more. I my personal thing that I love to do is holy crap! What is it?
0: Two percent? No way! 2%. Not two percent? Two percent? Bro my goodness
1: um i have no idea i mean like that that's that's <sighs> d- disgrace status i mean okay, i don't i i don't know
0: maybe maybe it's oh man
1: maybe 3% alex
0: <laughs> regardless it's it's a it's a travesty now what does that's, that say i mean if we lose confession think about how many people are coming with mortal sin on their soul to the eucharist that's a sacrilege that's a literal sacrilege. If you receive the Eucharist with mortal sin, you are you're committing a sacrilege to the Eucharist. Jeez. Okay, here's here's the Pew research. Um, about four in ten U.S. Catholics say they attend Mass at least once a week. <laughs> An additional 45% say they do so once or twice a month or a few times a year. Um,
1: If you you were to say 2% and you added and say every American was Catholic, which is 330 million or so, that means that 2% of 330 million is six.
0: All right, let's get some hard facts. You ready for this, (laughs) Kelly? You ready for this? I'm ready for this. It's going to rock your world.
1: Rock the world. WFRSCC 88.3. <laughs>
0: Published in September 2nd, 2015, the Pew Research Center, which is really. Um, credible. Very, very incredible. credible source. Um, we have mass attendance among Catholics, all Catholics weekly, 39%. Monthly slash yearly, meaning they go at least once a year, uh, 45%. Those who go less than a year, 12%. 5% don't go at all. Jeez. Wow. So only 40% of Catholics even go to mass once a week. Catholics who receive uh, regularly—here uh, yeah, we go. Okay. Of everyone who attends mass at least once a year—here, um, I got I to see this. I'll read it to you. And then uh, most Catholics say they receive communion every time they attend or most times they attend mass ninety five percent of Catholics receive communion at mass
1: ninety five percent sorry sorry sorry
0: sorry of of ninety five percent of Catholics forty three percent receive every time thirteen percent receive most of the time twenty one percent receive some of the time seventeen percent receive never
1: um, how do you quantify that
0: this is just what their reporting is yeah <clears throat> uh, 4 in 10 Catholics say they go to confession at least once a year. So 43% he- of Catholics say they go to confession at least once a year.
1: That's bad.
0: Less than once, once a year is 23%. Never attend confession is
1: 33%. Oh, man.
0: So of those who go once a year, how many do you think are going... Uh, 7% report going monthly.
1: Yeah, that's... Bad.
0: So 7, 7% report going monthly and 43% receive communion every time. So 7% re- say going monthly. I mean, I don't know about everybody, but mortal sin's tough. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and, you know, if you're not going to confession once a month...
1: Come on, man.
0: <laughs> I mean, are you receiving in a state of grace?
1: I don't think so. I don't, so. Know. I, I don't we, know. We don't know. We but don't like, know. But, but like, that's not a chances good Chances are, no.
0: And you're receiving the Eucharist.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, if we, if we, what well, we said like 2% of Catholics go to confession or whatever.
0: Sorry, Sorry. 43% go at least once a year. Okay. 7% go once a month. 14% go several times. 21% go at least once a year. So, jeez, that's just... So 7% go at least once a month. I mean that's that should be what we're going for is at least once a month or more if you're you know falling into mortal sin.
1: I was talking to Sergi, he said he goes two uh, every 2 days.
0: All right, let's keep that
1: every two days, man. Well,
0: I mean, okay, well, we can go away from that one, but well, it's not personal. Yeah,
1: well, no, it's just saying I've talked to like many people. They tell me straight up, like, yeah, man, I go like every, you know, every other every day and stuff. I'm like, why don't we have that more?
0: Every day is a bit excessive. Once a week is like usually the, the maximum amount you're supposed to go because if you're going more than once a week, then it's Kind of a, I don't know. I, I'd have to look into that a little bit more because if you can't stay away from mortal sin in the weekly, then it's a lot of then people, it's then it's you need a little bit more. Yeah, but a lot of people aren't going
1: it. even if they have mortal sin.
0: Yeah. W- well, that's the problem too. Yeah, yeah. You should go when you're in a state of mortal sin. Yeah. Uh, but you might have to wait. So you might, it might be better just for you to wait and not receive and go once a week if you have to than it is yeah. to be going every other day. Yeah. Right. So does that make sense? Especially because, like, if you're going every other day or something like that, that's, that's just too much.
1: Yeah, I usually go probably three times a month, three or four times a month right. or something.
0: Yeah. And so going at least once a month, that's what, like, Catholics should go at least once a month to confession. Like, I think if you're going to mass, you should go to confession at least once a month. And that's 7% of Catholics. And those who go several times a year is 14%. And those who go once a year is only 21% and uh the majority of catholics go less than once a year or never at all that's 56 56% go n- not even you know once a year
1: is which only, is required
0: that, by canon law to be catholic
1: so right right yeah so, so. you have
0: to receive the eucharist once in, in in the time of at least in the time of easter I mean, yeah and go to confession at least once a year to be catholic under canon law um and so most people aren't doing that.
1: Well, I just don't understand how it's gotten to that point. I mean,
0: oh, well, a lot of reasons. I mean,
1: <laughs> modernism.
0: Modernism, yeah, modernization. Where you say. was?
1: Where was? I the... mean, think
0: about—is this not modernization? You take out the traditional. You first of all, you move the the time of confession bef- from before mass when most people are going to be there is before mass, right? Most people who come to church are going to be there on Sunday, right? I mean, that's the day they're supposed to be there. And you have confessions before and during Mass so people can go to confession and confess their mortal sins. Now, you change that and you say, I'm going to move it to, we're not going to have confessions before Mass on Sundays when most people can go to confession. We're going to move it to Saturdays Mm -hmm. because that's more convenient for the priest or something like that. Okay, well, less people are going to go to confession, just necessarily right off the bat. Now, you also change from that the fact of Going to confession, um, being more of a kind of systematic, you go and you confess, you're not facing the priest. It's it's just, you know, he's in the confessional box, you're with them there, and there's the grading in between you. It's quicker, it's more efficient. You forgive the sins, you confess, you go on, you move forward. You can you change that to being this confessional room, and you have, you know, confessions that go like 15, 20 minutes, and people have to wait in line an obsessive amount of time, and the line doesn't move, and it's on a Saturday. I mean, just from those two factors alone, you can see why it dipped just ridiculously. (laughs) And, And what's the aim of it? Is the aim to, you know, hear the confessions of more peoples for the forgiveness of their mortal sins, or is the aim, I want to provide a pastoral ministry of spiritual direction? You see, it's a confusing of what confession is, because how modern of us, right? What's the real purpose of confession? Is it the forgiveness of mortal sins, or is it spiritual direction so you live a better life? It's the former. The latter is a subordinate end of confession, right? Giving spiritual direction so that you can live a better life is not the primary end of confession. It's the forgiveness of your mortal sins and and penitence. And um, finding out strategies of how to avoid sin and to be a better Catholic and all that type of stuff, that can be elsewhere. That can be a part of catechesis, right? That's supposed to be a part of catechesis, how to develop a life of virtue and how to avoid sin. That's part of catechesis. It's not part of confession. Mm-hmm. Supposed to be, you know, necessarily, right? Uh, so you see, like, just those things of modernizing how we do confession, right? Like confessions on a walk with a priest or something like that. Like, uh, I, I don't know. I,
1: I admit look, they're I've not, done that.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've we've probably, you know, it's not as though it's wrong per se. It just When you apply it universally in the church, it just leads to less confessions. It leads to a confusion as to what confession actually is. It leads to ridiculous wait times at confession lines. And it leads to people just saying, whatever, I'm in a state of mortal sin, but it's so confusing and whatever, I'll just receive the Eucharist. Because I'm at Mass and everyone receives the the Eucharist, right? And then you have a lot of people receiving the Eucharist in mortal sin, people not confessing their sins, not going to confession, and the destruction of the sacrament. The non use of the sacrament, not receiving the sacramental graces. That's
1: just yeah. a travesty.
0: Why, why aren't mm-hmm. we more angry about this?
1: I, I am. I mean, I, it's because people, I think a lot of people in the Catholic Church are just uneducated. They simply don't know like what's right and wrong. And it's like.
0: From a catechist's perspective.
1: Yeah. So it's like, guys, look, confession, what the heck is it there for? <laughs> it's there for a purpose, guys. Yeah. Go there. Confess your sins, you're contrite, then leave. Yeah. May uh, Lord, God bless you and keep you. Peace be with you. Now go out and <laughs> preach to the whole world. That's what right. Father says at the very end of Mass. Go out and serve the world or something like that. I don't know. But, obviously,
0: yeah. And obviously, we shouldn't approach confession with any pride or arrogance or say, I know how better it yeah. should be done in my parish. <laughs> nope. Although I sometimes have those 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 thoughts when I go to a, you know, a random parish to go to confession. I'm like,
1: my parish is better. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it just shows you, you know, another thing that came out of the council is the decentralization of the sacraments. So the idea that the you that can mean? have you can have a radically different, you know, approach to mass at this particular place and a radically different approach at this other place, right? That's why you you have like, oh well, this parish is so traditional and they do Latin Mass and they do like confession and confession boxes. And then you have over here, right? These churches that look like you know big donuts with uh, you know, <laughs> they have everyone in the round, and you have this altar in the middle, and all this type of stuff. And then you, you know, uh, someone might be able to to hear my bias here. Um, but and then you have these confessional rooms that like take like seventy minutes a person, and people stand in line on a Saturday afternoon, and then you get in there and like you have a priest just facing you, and you're confessing right to their face and stuff. I mean. Like, the fact that we have such a decentralization of what it means to be Catholic and how it actually looks practically, right, it's, it just shows you, like, it doesn't—it it creates confusion. Because then you have Catholics who are saying, my parish is better here, your parish is better there, where it was, um, you know, having the, having the norm be set. I mean, there's something to be said about having norms, right? I mean, we all have norms, right? Like— you probably get up in the morning and make breakfast, and then you go to class at a certain time, and you 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 have a set schedule and a norm and a normality to it, right? We as students here have a normality of you go to class and you you know you go to calf, the caf from eleven to like one because that's the times it's open, and like a kind of a normality. There's there's a semblance of schedule and and easiness and and and. Uh, Procedure, like our debates as well. There's a procedure that's known, right? You can't
1: just do whatever you want. You can't just yeah. do
0: whatever you want, right? Yeah. The chairman's there to make sure that the procedure is followed. Right Now, a centralization mm-hmm. is necessary for procedural precision. Because if you don't have that hierarchical oversight, then you can have this plurality of procedural you know, proceedings, procedural proceedings, (laughs) but you can have a plurality and then you don't have a unity out of that. Right. Likewise, if every parish, you know, if the parish down the street and the parish up the, you know, up another street down further, like three miles away, if they're radically different in how they, the practicals look in the church, then you're going to have Catholics like, oh, well, I don't like, you know, St. Benedict's. I I really prefer St. Michael's. Right. You know, like, They they do confession this way and that does that. And then you have Catholics like, Well, you know, I don't like this priest here, and I'm going to this parish. Everything's just we sing the hymns better. Right. Yeah. Yeah, It's it's because it's decentralized and it's like every pastor gets to make and the parish councils get to make all these decisions about how their church is built, about how um their confessions are done, and and then it becomes a a choosing game because you know, the bishop doesn't want to step up and say, like, look. We're only going to do confessions in confessional boxes. Get used to it. All your confession, you know, your confession rooms and all this mess, it's <laughs> done. You, you guys are done. We're going to build a confession box. Yeah. There has to be separation because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I've had three priests accused of sexual misconduct in a confessional, which, by the way, happens in diocese, right? That's just
1: ridiculous. Right.
0: And so a bishop just says straight up, okay, you're not doing this anymore. Like, we're going back to confessional boxes. It's like, why don't they do that? Why don't they centralize? Centralization is not— it's not, it's so modern of us to think, well, let's just decentralize and individualize parishes and make sure, you know, everyone can meet the pastoral needs of every particular place. We'll it just leave some confusion and parish, hop, parish hopping. Oh, I don't like this parish. I don't like St. Benedict's. I'm going to St. Michael's. I'm, I'm doing this, you know, and Catholics are, are picking and choosing and that's just not good, you know? Yeah. There's, I mean, there's no unity in that because then it's like, well, I'm a, I'm a this parish versus I'm a that parish. And obviously there's going to be differences. I mean, you're not going to build a exact, like, you know, like uh, those built-to-order houses, like they yeah. can show up. <laughs> you're not going to build a built-to-order church. No. You know? It's not going to look the exact same. It's going to be run differently, but I, I think we're at a point of more disen- uh, decentralization and disunity that's not really beneficial, and we need to, like, relook at, like, okay, how are we doing confessions?
1: How do like, you reverse it?
0: Well, it could happen with a bishop saying, okay, in our diocese,
1: Somebody's got to take charge.
0: I want confessions to be done on Sundays before and during mass. And he's going to have to say, this is what I want to happen. And let's see it happen in our parishes. And you say something like Saturdays are abysmal for confessions. Yeah. So, okay. You're a bishop. So you're the Bishop of San Diego. I'm not going to name who it is. San Diego, baby.
1: Somebody, everybody listen to this. You got to go visit California. California's great. San Diego, (laughs) especially.
0: Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm the church is now in travesty there but in southern california especially but regardless let's say you're you're a bishop and you're reading these numbers and you're reading you know you do your own numbers of like how many people are going to confession and you say my goodness you know uh only 43% of catholics go to confession yearly i mean that's that's crazy right that's so you say insane. how could we improve that i think one very concrete thing is say let's just make it more available there's not a lot of like all you send a letter to your priest and you say, let's just make it more available. Let's make Sundays more available for confessions before mass. I, I know it ta- you could say I know it takes more effort and it you know it takes the time of the priest to do confessions before mass, but uh, it's possible and you can do it and you say, let's take confessions before mass. So that's a centralization that can be done. Let's make it more accessible to people And then you could do more things like, Tell your priest, please don't spend an excessive amount of time in the confessional giving spiritual direction. Just a, a simple thing like that.
1: Yeah. Um, well, you know, especially like for for people that I, I guess the only thing I would say was that maybe a priest thinks that's like an like an invasion of kind of you know you don't don't spend this much time when maybe people have like a lot of stuff to confess and they but you like you, but you like you said it's not a time to talk about kind of you know the priest should give advice to that person and but not elongated to the point where it's, you know, unnecessary. I think Father... It's hard to gauge that, though, because everything's different.
0: I think Father Ripperger said one time, I could be misquoting him, but he said the entire life of Hitler could be given in a five-minute confession.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no. I mean, mean, (laughs) that's just how simple it is. I
0: think that's, you know, it's striking for a second, but, like, if it was thought through beforehand, it could. Because, like... That's the power of like words and language is you can you can say the broad sins pretty concretely in a short amount of time that does not require a lot of context. Right, the sins don't require a whole lot of context. If you've committed a mortal sin, you must specify which mortal sin it is, and of how many occasions you've you've done that mortal sin.
1: There's only seven of them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, more. Well, that's or, deadly sins. Oh, that's mortal deadly sins is a sin that's you know of of uh, grave right, matter, right, right, yeah. intentionally done, and, and full knowledge, full no- and yeah, knowledge that it is a mortal sin. So, yeah, you can the life of Hitler, the sinful life of Hitler, if he did a confession. Could be done in you know five minutes or something like that i mean maybe it's an exaggeration but you can if you think it through you can give through a confession quickly and briefly so it's not on the priest to sit there and just you know have to listen to your whole thing for 20 minutes about you know why you why you uh you know called your sister-in-law something like that you can give a short confession you can give a short confession it's not it's not ridiculously complex and yeah. and then for priests as well to be like, okay, well, you know, you have a lot of people who want to go to confession. Make sure it's done in a timely manner. Give them spiritual direction and pastoral whatever advice, but make it very, very brief. It's a concrete thing that I think making making confession more available. I think you'll change this 43% going, oh, yeah. going yearly. And people will say, wow, you know, I mean, even it's a social thing. Like you're at mass and you see, wow, there's a huge line for confession. You know, I haven't gone to confession in a long time. You know, maybe I should go to confession. That forty-three percent. If the entire United States said we're going to make a push for Sunday confessions again, I bet that would go up ten percent within a year. I don't know why
1: they don't. There's, some, <laughs> why don't there's they? something. There's <laughs> something <laughs> stopping them. I don't know. Maybe they say, oh, the priests don't have time. Wait a minute. How do priests not have time for that? That's like their whole. Your whole deal. That's is like their whole confession. deal is like is like saving saving people. Yeah, it's it's through, yeah, through massing yeah, confession. Yeah. Like yeah,
0: that's what we need. And um. I, I genuinely think if the bishops, you know, they go to their conference, United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, they're mm-hmm. they're having their conference now. I think in Baltimore or, or just recently. Yeah, they are, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if they went there and instead of talking about how we can ban guns, which is one of their agendas, <laughs> is how to ban guns and ban the death penalty, maybe they could be like, oh yeah, only forty three percent of Catholics go to ma- uh Sorry, go to confession yearly. Maybe we could figure out a way to like. Actually give them confession more often, like make those numbers go up. Like your duty is not as a Catholic bishop to figure out ways to like ban guns and all this politics you know, crap. encourage uh, mass immigration and like be basically the Democratic Party. That's not your role as a bishop. Your role as a bishop is to give the sacraments and safeguard the truth and govern the church. It's to preserve the faith, sanctify the church with the, the sacraments and to govern her, to teach, sanctify, govern. That's the role of the bishop and the clergy. And so you think, okay, well, most people don't believe in the real presence. Who are Catholics, right? Like 33% believe in the real presence of Christ. Mass attendance is ridiculously low. No one goes to confession barely yearly. Less than half of the Catholics go to confession yearly or mass yearly, it seems like. Wasn't it less than half mass yearly? If you did a yeah, like, I mean it's it's so it's a travesty, and then so you're not you're not teaching them the faith, and you're not sanctifying them, and governing the church. You 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 I mean you <laughs> pushed around a bunch of priests to sexually you know who are sexual uh, assaulters, and you move them around to different parishes. Like you're not governing the church, right? So in all three accounts, you're just you're dropping the ball. Let's just start with some concrete things, like. Okay, faith, how do we like have people believe in the Eucharist again? I don't know. Maybe preach about it sometime. <laughs> how do we, you know, get people back going to confession? Oh, maybe make it available. Not on a Saturday at four o'clock when everyone wants to watch college football. <laughs> right? Or is going to a party that night or something like that. Like Sunday morning. What are, you, what are you doing on Sunday morning? Well, if you're a Catholic, you're supposed to be going to mass. Oh, look, there's confession. Maybe that'll make it from going to 43% to going to like 53% wow, we could actually sanctify the church, teach them the faith, you know, oh, sanctify
1: yeah. the church. Oh, yeah, I mean, like...
0: And then governing the church. Okay, well, publicly defrock priests who are caught in pedophilia and don't send them somewhere else. Otherwise, you're going to end up with a $100 million bill later on, <laughs> which is true. And that's why, like, dioceses are declaring bankruptcy. San Diego Diocese declared bankruptcy, like, five years ago, right? Because of so many sex abuse payouts. Like... We just think like we're oh we're modern we're so smart right we don't need to tell people about the Eucharist they'll just believe in it out of the goodness of their heart and we don't need to have confession times be so available people will come on Saturdays the priest is really busy and then you say things like well this this certain priest will you know because we're modern we're more uh, we're we're a lot more understanding of the sins of others and so we're not going to be so harsh as to publicly defrock a priest. And we just say, well, we're going to modernize everything, right? Our, our predecessors in the faith were so stupid and antiquated and hard, you know, hard rear-end guys, right? Like we're going to move it into the modern age. And what did what what have we seen as the result? People not believing in the Eucharist, not coming to mass or confession, and uh, you know, hundreds of million dollars being paid to sex abuse victims. <laughs> yeah, and we and we. And we accuse our ancestors as being antiquated and stupid and, and, and perhaps we're the ones who are stupid.
1: <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I mean, uh, who knows,
0: but I once again, it, it doesn't take a rocket surgeon to figure out like, how do you promote confession and like, I just, you have it more regularly. I don't know. I just
1: think it could be all, all be easily avoided. I don't, uh, you know, it's like, no. like you said, you know, make, make confession on Sunday. Um, just do more for the community, I guess. You know, it's like, man, can you not see that there are failing numbers here? I mean, look, if you took some sort of estimate on how many students at Franciscan went to each, each student at Franciscan or anybody that's ever been on this campus in one year, take a one-year period that went to confession. Any person that went to confession, every, every confession that happened for one year on this campus. It's probably more than the entire U.S. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we have confession four
0: days a week, which is great. I think our sacramental availability here, I think, is one of the the hallmarks of why Francis is in such a great place. We have confession four times a week, right? It'd be nice if we had it on Sundays, but we have confession four times a week, and the priests come, and they hear confessions, and it's wonderful. And students come. Students come to confession. We have mass three times a day, and daily mass attends about one-third of the student population attends, uh, attends mass daily. The numbers have been decreasing over the years, but, like, still, that's a, that's a huge benefit. And the fact that people go to mass on Sundays and, like, the sacramental life of Franciscan University, I think in a large part, is due to the friars being available and wanting to make it happen. And it's just such a blessing. The friars here on campus are such a blessing. It's such
1: a blessing. It's nowhere else like in the yeah. world that's like it.
0: If you know the history of Franciscan, this this hasn't always been this way, Yeah. right? It's It's been a lot of, like, Father Michael Scanlon, like, saying, we're going to make these regular. And we're going to have more confession times, and we're going to mm-hmm. be more available. Like, it takes a lot of effort to have three Masses a day.
1: Yeah, it does. Imagine that. It does. Having a
0: priest from the friary come <laughs> down at 6.30 <laughs> in the morning every day, like, that's, that's a big deal. Yeah. The fact that they do that. Having Mass on Sunday, 8 a.m., 10 a.m., 12.30, uh, sometimes 2.30, and 4 p.m. Masses, like— the fact that the friars do so much is a big deal. And, and you know, in, in trying to bring Catholics, U.S. Catholics back, making the sacraments more available, making confession more available, um, I think is a, it's a good way to, to bring them back. And um, just, just simple stuff
1: like that, right? Yeah, yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick just 30-second break, and we'll be right back. accidentally so yeah we just kind of finished up talking about kind of the unfortunate percentages that we've seen that are that are only getting lower i think with confession ways to fix it offer it more you know um things like that but you know it's it's sad i I, it's really sad i mean just the 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 mindset there the fact that people don't want to go to confess what they've done it's like they totally ignore that they've done something wrong. Right. You know? What do you think? The yeah. the whole general psychology behind it.
0: Yeah, I mean you can crop it up to bad catechesis, lower availability, a confusion as to what the purpose of confession is, a confusion as to what is mortal sin and what is not mortal sin, like just I mean everything about it, the faith, the human element of like it's not available. You know, I was <laughs> I was listening to our previous podcast with uh, the good old Mr. Nicholas Larkin Nicholas Larkin little lad. He, I, I wish he could have been here tonight but uh, <laughs> maybe next week uh, not next week it'll be Thanksgiving next week
1: oh man week after, Turkey Turkey time yeah.
0: yeah I know it's gonna be exciting um, I'll be back in Dan Fliego surfing it up
1: <laughs> Dan Fliego so, I'll be up in NorCal yeah so, so
0: um, but yeah I was, listen- I was listening to the podcast again and I was going off about the Vatican Bank Emanuele Alondi. <laughs> that was fun I was going off he called me a degenerate it was excellent <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, folks, go look up our last podcast. Go look at the last podcast. It was a blast.
1: Uh, we were all degenerates, according to Nicholas Larkins. So. All
0: degenerates. Um,
1: so, Alex, for those of us who have not been as degenerate as you, <laughs> yeah, I know
0: it was hilarious. But I mean, and and he also made a, a big point about like, well, we can't be obsessive obsessive about these things, and um, uh, having a thorough knowledge of the Vatican Bank doesn't make you any closer to to Christ or to the Church or whatever else. And I was like, yeah. Okay. I I listened to that again. and I was like, that's a fair critique and, and knowing these things. But along with that, like you have to know the problem before you can try and come to some solutions. And for, you know, me and Nick, and these other people who are like theology majors and philosophy majors, and we're thinking about this stuff, like this is part of our work is to be like thinking about the church and how things have gone and where are we moving in the, in, in what direction are we moving in? How do we address these things? you know, there's logical conclusions to like, okay, well, what is confession? Now let's go down and like actually figure out what confession is. And then you say, no one's going to confession. Only 43% are going at least yearly. That's a travesty. How do we end up at this point? Like there's nothing inherently wrong in like trying to figure out the sources of the cause of why confession times are going down. And also, obviously you can be, you know, overly fixated on like Everything's messed up and oh my gosh, no one goes
1: to Mass. Which you anymore. don't wanna you don't want to be, you don't something, be yeah. But you could
0: also be like, wow, you okay, it's a problem. okay, how can we solve it? And and I think having a uh you don't want to have a naivete to Yeah, you don't wanna be naive about the fact that the church is in a rough spot. And I think for for us to be, you know, have this kind of, let's just push it off to the side that the church is in a rough spot right now. And most, I mean, a lot of parishes are going downhill and people aren't going to mass and like to have a kind of, oh, well, the church is always perfect and good and everything's fine approach. Like that's what's really non-pastoral.
1: The the one thing that, the one thing that's the worst that really any downfall of a society is acknowledging that you think it's okay.
0: Yeah. You, yeah, you yeah. think that
1: it's okay when it's really not because right. it's, it's sabotage. Right. Lo- it's like writing a there's...
0: treatise on the glories of Rome while the barbarians are sacking the city. Well, yeah. Something like that, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. Yeah.
0: It's literally like, yeah, I mean, it's that. It's like saying, wow, it's so great being Catholic while well, everything around you is going to crap. Crum- like, crumbling, yeah. Yeah, and so, okay, we're in a tough spot. It doesn't invalidate the church in any way, and it also doesn't make me less of a, a son of the church or make me anyone any less of obedient or reverent towards the church or in any way, you know— bashing it it's just saying like okay well there's a lot of work to do and, and we a lot of the stuff that happened to us I think we caused to ourselves Um, by this modernizing of the church I think it comes back to that I think the no that's what part, it is yeah I mean it's saying we're going to adopt to the modern world all these things that are antiquated but what it ended up happening is everyone ran and made it in their own directions and yeah that's and you, what can happens see the when you
1: that's what happens when you modernize something is that then all of a sudden all these start of opinions start coming out and like people start seeing things this way then they go that way and somebody sees it else you know that way then they go that way it's like once you start making things what did we say was the cat to make the catholic church more accessible was vatican II or whatever you don't change the principle of the church mm-hmm. its main its meaning its canon law you don't you don't mess with that stuff because then when you do that everything becomes i don't know subjective
0: yeah, it becomes my judgment versus my your judgment. judgment
1: versus your judgment.
0: So, and I mean, your judgment may be more informed or whatever, you may have a more intelligent way of thinking about it, but like it tradition causes is confusion.
1: A huge, yeah, it, it causes confusion and disarray because then you have all these sorts of perceptions coming out. It just shows you a disaster. What happens when you change stuff? You know, it's right. like, oh my gosh, I don't know, just everything that we're seeing, you know, is it's just because people things have been changed. And bad consequences have come because of it. Did they have anything in the 1918 like code of canon law where they established a certain amount of number of confessions?
0: Sorry, say it one more time. So,
1: like, is there is it anywhere in canon law where they say this place has to offer this amount of confession, like this confession time? Is uh, there any is there anything that says that in canon it should be law? Weekly.
0: I don't know the specific canons Week- on it, yeah, but it should be weekly. I mean, yeah. the fact—yeah, confession should be offered at least weekly or, I mean, in a regular parish. Yeah. If it can't be, then monthly. I, I, I think going back to your point about modernizing, it's a wonderful trope, quote by Chesterton with it—oh, this is so great—about what is, what is tradition really, like preserving tradition. And He says, Tradition means giving votes to the most obscure of all classes, our ancestors. It is the democracy of the dead. Tradition refuses to submit to the small and arrogant oligarchy of those who merely happen to be walking about.
1: <laughs> That's interesting. Democracy <laughs> you, you know of saying? the dead. Yeah. Dang.
0: Tradition refuses to submit to the small and arrogant oligarchy of those who merely happen to be walking about.
1: Oh. Instead of all
0: the dead who are now not Roast walking it. about. Yeah, because tradition is what we pass on and and we should be very hesitant to just deny this democracy of the dead, to deny this ancestry of the church. I mean, think about the tradition of the church. 2,000 years. Oh, yeah. Right? And this enormous patrimony we've received. We should be very hesitant to change anything. And um, yeah. the fact is that the church is supposed is by nature supposed to be a slow-moving operation. Yeah. The modern world is rapid, really rapidly, rapidly changing. Yeah. I mean, it changes every day. I mean, like literally, we're having you know, you know, the Tesla truck. I think just came out today, or it's coming out tomorrow. Like, this is that the one we talked about? Truck. in
1: Austrian Venmo or not? Oh Venmo. no, no, This is a
0: different one. That was the Tesla Semi.
1: Oh, that was the Semi. Yeah, right. that
0: was a Semi truck. Uh, this is like a legit Tesla truck. I, I think it was the design was coming out or something like that. Yeah, we're, I, I want the Tesla truck. That should be the next thing we get to the Tesla truck. Um, yeah, Tesla to unveil long-hyped cyberpunk electric pickup truck. <laughs> Here's a design model for it. Something like this. What it the looks, heck yeah, it is looks that?
1: Nuts. Looks like some sort of messed up version of a...
0: Well, they don't know what it's going to look like yet. This this might look... Anyways, we're looking at pictures of Tesla looks trucks' like a ideas. Nin- that
1: thing looks like a 19... 19- Forty-four. How about
0: this one? This is a cool (laughs) Hitler-made. Yeah. So literally, we have these like Tesla trucks that can like seriously. Have you seen uh, the Tesla uh, Tesla cars like dance to? The car can actually move around to the. uh, That's not a car. Can't move around. It it, it's programmed to. Elon
1: Musk is just ruining it now.
0: (laughs) He's he's crazy. We can literally do stuff like this, right? I mean, what's next? Shape-shifting cars. I mean, ten years ago. We the first iPhone came out like ten or eleven years ago, wasn't it? Two thousand eight.
1: Two thousand eight or something. Yeah. yeah, I
0: mean that's crazy. First iPhone came out. We're on like iPhone eleven now or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Or iPhone ten. Yeah. So, no iPhone eleven. Yeah, we're there. That happened in September. Yeah. So, the world changes really rapidly, and especially in the modern age, is changing really rapidly. The church is. Ageless. She's meant. She's meant to be yeah. timeless, and, and to be in this. Its in this way. is always there. Yeah, its tradition is so strong. Yeah. you can't just.
1: Well, that's it why doesn't,
0: uh, th- it doesn't change rapidly like the modern world, because the modern yeah. world's always changing its principles because it's pagan and secular and all these type of yeah. things. So the principles change nearly every day. You know, market economies and all sorts of stuff. It's all in this fluctuation. We're all being fluctuating all that stuff. The, the church, church is like this stability, this tradition, yeah. this. It it's not meant to be rapidly changed.
1: It's so rich and and yeah. and, and just everything, and documentation and it attracts law and, men you know, of all age, men yeah. of
0: you know, it, it attracts, right, the the of the 1700s, attracts the men of the seventeen hundreds, attracts the men of the two hundreds. Humanity and and every age is attracted to the church.
1: Well, why is it never died?
0: Yeah, right? exactly. Why is it never it's been died? Eternally pertinent.
1: Yeah, and it will ever will ever be.
0: Yeah, it'll be the only thing that's pertinent in eternity.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no it is. <laughs>
0: everything else will pass. The church will remain because she is the body of Christ.
1: Yeah, I mean I don't know what else it would be besides modernism like to make, you know, to see all this everything that's going through now. Because it's it's not like it's you know just happening from regular people. It's hap- I mean, you know, it's happening from the hierarchy, right? So there's obviously modernism corruption
0: well, there's like, people pushing for it as well, but right, yeah, yeah, the hierarchies. Yeah, the hierarchy. Yeah. yeah,
1: and it's just—it's just kind of like a. To me, it almost seems a slow, constant buildup of just corruption. I don't know. I guess you could say, in a way, modernism is corruption.
0: Modernism, right? Remember, or can that cause is corruption. The, so that obviously. has a few different. Right. So modernism is the for, formal heresy we talked about. Pius X con, condemns right. it, and. Uh, Pascendi Dominica, uh, Gregis, right, and Pius the Twelfth also com- condemns it in Humani Generis, right. That's the technical heresy of modernism. Now, a lot of modernization, as it's been applied, is modernism. So you're right on that. But not all modernization is specifically the heresy of modernism. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's characterized by an optimism about. The world and about human relations and an optimism about the modern age and saying, well, the modern age is like so much progress and so much good stuff. And right. And and so we're willing to make con- uh, peace with Muslims and with like Protestants and being all, you know, everybody's equal and we all tend towards God. And it's just like the Catholic religions just it ends up becoming one of every religion instead of the only one. It is the only true one. I'll say it again. It's the only true religion.
1: It's the only true religion. You heard it from Alex Denley. Public relations. (laughs) Catholic relations. Let's let's
0: take the uh, oath of modernism. Oath against against modernism. Oath against (laughs) modernism. Yeah. Wait, so
1: who was it though that said, it was Pope Francis, right? He said, we want to make something to all religions. Who said that?
0: That was the Abu Dhabi document. Yeah, Pope Francis.
1: What did he say? We want to make God account. wills
0: the plurality of religions.
1: Just go through that again one more time. What oh, is, plur- is plural? Just no, just give us a brief. Like, <laughs> what does plurality mean in that context? Uh, the openness? The, all the, yeah, all the different religions. I, How look, can God will that? He can't. Oh, plurality means like he total. Whatever.
0: He can't. Bishop Schneider called him out and said, <laughs> don't do that because that's. Don't do that. So. <laughs> yeah, because God doesn't will the plurality of religions. Only by, he only wills one. It's called the Catholic Church, and mm-hmm. all men must
1: be Catholic. Didn't Pope Francis retract that statement, though? No. I oh, know he, he clarified it, right?
0: He clarified it as being the permissive will of God, which is the only way you can interpret his statement as not being heresy. Yeah. But it it's, I mean, pfft.
1: Um, mm. it just sounds weird. I don't know why he would say something like that. Quote,
0: in the name of God and of everything stated thus far, Al Azhar Al Sharif and the Muslims of the East and West,
1: Al Al Sharif,
0: together with the Catholic Church and the Catholics of the East and West, declare the adoption of a culture of dialogue as the path, mutual cooperation as the code of conduct, reciprocal understanding as the method and standard.
1: That's interesting. Standard.
0: Freedom is a right of every person. Each individual enjoys the freedom of belief, thought, expression, and action. The pluralism and diversity of religions, color, sex, race, and language are willed by God in his wisdom, through which he created human beings.
1: Trying to polish it there, I guess. Okay. Doesn't make sense though.
0: Okay, does God will the diversity of religions like he wills the diversity of... God wills the Catholic Church. Yes. Okay. People come in different races. Come in white and black and you know brown. Okay. Now, God wills that as being a part of like human nature. Now, is the diversity of religions equal to this diversity plurality of like races?
1: No. I don't think so. No. Why would it be?
0: Because that. What does that imply? Or the difference of sex? You're like There's male and female. There's male and female. And and just like there's male and female, like black and white and brown, just as there's Asians and like all this other stuff. Well, there's Catholics, you know, and there's Muslims. And there's Jews. And there's
1: Jews. It's what like, does that do to the Catholic? Where where is the solidification here, Pope Francis?
0: Where's the Catholic faith in all this? Well, the Catholic faith is just another race. Like, oh, well, you're white. Well, yeah, you're just Catholic. as equal
1: as Islam or Judaism.
0: Do you see how like bad that is? It just more languages. Makes it seem weak. Oh, I speak English. I you speak Italian. You know, you makes speak Switzerlandian. <laughs> Switzerland. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they might come that's up a, with that someday. That's an inside joke. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So you speak, you know, Swahili or whatever. You know, but we all speak lowering, different languages.
1: But it's lowering the concept of religion.
0: Yeah, it's lowering Catholicism to be like everybody else. That's Diversity. Not, God we, doesn't will Islam? Unless well, you, unless you think you know, all of them are equally false. If you think Islam and, and Catholicism, and Catholicism Judaism, and they're false. They're all, then, they're all they're all equally stupid. Yeah. Then yeah, okay. God wills all. God these wills all these
1: to be equally stupid, I guess. Yeah, but. exactly.
0: But no, if there's one true religion. And Pope Francis is the head of that one true religion. By the way, he is the the visible head on earth. Christ is the true head of the church. But the one who's guiding and leading the church supposed to be right now is this Holiness Pope Francis, who is the true Pope. Um, then uh, God can't will a diver- diversity of religions if there's one true religion because either one of them is really true or they're all not true.
1: Yeah. No, that's how it goes. Either they're... Either all one's not true, or true or all not true. true. How could two be true? They can't. That's not how it works. They can't. That's not truth. There's yeah, no two it can, truths. It couldn't be
0: true religion. It would just be a plurality of like, you know, varying degrees of religion. Just like, you, know, you have different races or something. I, yeah. So freedom it just is a, doesn't I'm make read that sense. Again. Why he would have come I'm up with anything that like
1: that? What was his whole point of saying that? Like that all the time to take that and make that speech or whatever.
0: Islamic oil money. <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't know. That was a that was a low blow. But isn't
1: that Nigeria or whatever?
0: They well they well, they're trying to get that money
1: too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's stop. I heard here first. You heard here first on W for SEC. We're just honest. Just I mean, being we're trying honest. to be. I'm trying, trying to, to be
0: honest. I mean it's it's not not fun being honest. It's a lot it's it's a lot more superficially fun to just be like, you know, ostrich head in the sand. Um it's pretty funny. But it's pretty warm in the sand. You put your ostrich head in there. You know.
1: Yeah. No, it's like. Um,
0: Have you ever seen an ostrich? Probably at a zoo or something.
1: I think at a zoo. Yeah. Saw one. In I've a seen. Wild. I've seen one I was in, a in zoo. Africa. I've never seen. Yeah. I've you went to Africa, egg. man. I've, I've been to Jamaica, egg. but that doesn't beat Africa. That's right. But
0: I've eaten an ostrich egg as well.
1: Oh, I got it. That's on my bucket list now. <laughs> it
0: tastes like a chicken leg. It pretty much tastes like Yeah, the exact I,
1: I'd figured, yeah.
0: It's this huge egg, and it has like, basically imagine if you got half a dozen eggs and one egg. No, no, no. no. Sorry. It's it's about a dozen eggs. About a dozen chicken yeah, eggs and one huge. egg. It's it's like yeah, it's huge. It's like this big, massive. right? it's massive. We made like three enormous omelets out of it. It was awesome.
1: <laughs> a flightless bird making the best yeah, omelets. Yeah, and it's,
0: it's illegal to harvest them in Kenya. But we had this guy show up who wanted some money. He's like, look, I got two ostrich eggs. And father's like, okay, fine. Here's some cash. We'll we'll eat it. And so we, we brought him in. I'm like, is that an ostrich egg? He's like, yes, this is an ostrich egg. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I guess we're going to have a good breakfast. We had like five omelets. And we're like, How are we eating all this? I don't know. Anyways, so it's much, much easier to uh, stick your head in the sand with this stuff, but like,
1: I wonder if we're, the being, ho- we're
0: being honest. This is like, this is concerning. This yeah. is concerning.
1: I wonder if the Pope ever thinks he's under pressure. Oh, no, I really do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, really do, because if he's coming out with stuff like this, it's almost like he's lackadaisical. And he's not, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's not really thinking about it. You know, I, I don't know. I could be wrong, but I feel like there's a lot of just obviously we want to pray for the pope and everything we do right but you know there it doesn't just because you know we, obviously we're supposed to pray for him but like you know that shouldn't impede us from making judgments like good honest judgments trying to build the church up mm-hmm. by talking about the pope it starts with him man well i mean i guess it starts with the people well kind of starts with me <laughs>
0: I mean, I mean, that's what it, you know, the renewal of the church starts with like me personally going yeah. to mass, saying my prayers, praying the rosary, being in a state of grace and not a mortal sin, going to confession. Yeah. That's what we can do. Now, obviously we're, we're talking about this stuff because it, it matters. Um, And, you know, the Abu Dhabi document and religious freedom and how we approach confession and how can we, you know, benefit confession and, and do all these things. Like, this isn't just purely fruitless and this is Um, yeah. How are we going to look? This comes from a love of the church, right? The discussing, you you don't discuss the problems of your enemies just as, as trying to find solutions, right? You, you just point out your, the problems of your enemies to bring them down or something like that. Like this isn't, this is a concrete constructive building. Um, yeah. If a father or someone who's in charge of a, you know, a son or something like that, and, the son is just not doing right and he's you know smoking a bunch of weed and stuff and not doing his job and not doing whatever else and not doing the right things. If you just gloss over that to be acceptable to your son, you know, Oh, I don't want my dad. I don't want him to think I'm a tough father or something like that. Well, you're not doing what, what you have to do is and be responsible. And we're not in that position over the church in any regard, but like knowing what the problem is and then pointing it out and then looking for a solution that is fruitful. Yeah. And, um, and you may not be able to like, okay, the problem of religious freedom and religious liberty, which is what Pope Francis is talking about here and affirming a wrong position, but he, he's avoiding formal heresy, but it's just not good that God wills the diversity of religions. Well,
1: I don't even know what that means.
0: Yeah. Well, we can reaffirm in our own lives. The Catholic faith is the one true religion, and all men must be Catholic to be saved. And uh, we should work for the coming of, of the kingdom of Christ and the social reign of Christ here on earth and his reign and work for his kingdom in heaven. Right? So that's what we can do practically. Pray the rosary. That's that's a huge thing. Um, yeah, praying the rosary every day, as, as Our Lady of Fatima has that said. That's
1: one of the most dangerous weapons. Yeah. Just evil, man, I tell you. That's yeah. Rosary is just a killer to Satan.
0: Yeah, and Mary crushes the head of Satan.
1: She does every time, Right. every single time. It's not a joke. It's really not a joke. Well, you notice that like the end of Mass. Now we've been saying, uh, maybe the past year or so we've been saying Saint Michael. <laughs>
0: really, <laughs> I, they started doing that here. At- I
1: mean, I they do it in my parish. They oh, do. Oh, right. It, I'm sure. Yeah, they I do it in know. my parish. Yeah. Yeah, you know. Just, I, I think
0: that's wonderful. I, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know the origination? Uh, the. Huh. The origin of that Leo the Thirteenth, his uh, apparently he had a vision of the devil making a, a deal with, um, well God the devil said you know give me a hundred years and I'll destroy the church, and God said, okay you have a hundred years figure it out try and try your best <laughs> and Saint Leo and Leo the Thirteenth he composed the Saint Michael's prayer to guard the church so and he said you must say it after mass. And it got abolished in like 1965, I think. Coming back. Bringing it back. Bring yeah, let's back. bring it back. Saying the St. Michael's Prayer. I think it's a wonderful thing, so.
1: All right, we'll end with the St. Michael. What a hail Mary then is St. Michael? Hail Mary, full of grace. Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy own Jesus.
0: Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray, pray, pray for, for us sinners. sinners, now Amen. and at the hour of our death. Amen.
1: St. Michael, the archangel, defend, us, defend us, in us in battle. battle. Be, Be our, our protection, protection against the, the wickedness and the snares of the, the devil. devil. May God, May God rebuke, rebuke him the humbly pray. pray do thou, Prince and Heavenly Host, by, by the, the power, power of God, cast into hell, saying, Now the, evil all the evil spirits who prowl about the, world, about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Thank you for tuning in to WFRSCC, the Tri-State's Best Contemporary Christian Station, 88.3 FM. Kellen Lake along with Alex Denley. Uh, enjoy your Thanksgiving, guys. Uh, we won't be here next week, but we'll be here the week after you know, a couple more after that and the semester's over, but we will be back here in spring for sure. Mm-hmm. That's going to be fun. All right. Thanks for tuning in guys. We'll see you next time.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the count and Alex show. We release our podcast every Friday morning on all streaming services. And we also live stream our podcast on twitch.tv slash Hingis You can join us live six to 8 p.m. Pacific time. That's nine to 11 p.m. Eastern standard time every Thursday evening. Thank you so much for watching and hope to see you next time.